Welcome to Yellow Chair Collective, the podcast. My name is Helen Garcia. My pronouns are she, her. In the aftermath of the Monterey shooting, it is important that we come together to provide both ourselves and others with a safe and supportive environment. We can do this by reaching out to those in our community who have been affected by the tragedy, offering our time, energy, and resources to help them in any way we can. We can also make sure to take time for ourselves to process our emotions and reactions to the news. That's why we thought that it would be important to publish today's episode. We have Dr. Christine Ketapon. Dr. Ketapon is an experienced clinical psychologist with substantial work experience in higher education and private practice. We sit down today and talk about how to take care of ourselves and others in the aftermath of collective trauma. Christine is skilled in individual and group therapy, clinical supervision, psychological assessment, but most of all, how to hold your humanity in times of deep and utter stress. She holds both a master's in spiritual psychology and a doctorate in clinical psychology. She's currently a staff psychologist for Stanford University and the president-elect for Asian American Psychological Association. I hope you enjoy today's episode. I sure did, because it provided space to be human as a therapist and as a Filipino woman. I hope this serves you. This is Yellow Chair Collective, the podcast. So deep breath in, deep breath out. Christine, how are you holding space for yourself, given this like cultural moment that we're in right now? That's a great question. I think sometimes we therapists are so focused on taking care of others that, especially in times like this, where it's like, oh my gosh, how am I going to hold space? How am I going to support my organization? Like all of these questions seem to take priority if we're not very careful and intentional about taking care of ourselves. And so I'm very fortunate to walk the walk and have my own therapist who challenges me and says, okay, how are you going to self-care in the half hour that you have between this podcast and your clients who are going to want to talk about this. And I said, oh gosh, I haven't thought about it because I was so focused in how I wanted to be there. But I think one of the things that she reminded me of is that we're human. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's helpful for other therapists to remember that We're going through the same things that our clients are going through, especially something that targets our community so heavily. And so if we can give ourselves permission to say, hey, I'm having feelings because I'm human and I'm compassionate and I'm empathetic toward what is happening in our community. And if there are tears, if there is anger, that's okay. And if we can model that, to not just our clients, but to one another, to our peers, our community, to validate that all of these feelings are so important to acknowledge. And then we can do that for ourselves. And so I am going to be doing lots of art. Afterwards, I'm going to be trying to channel my creative juices into something that's healing for me. So I do, it's, well, I think it's art, but other people may not, but I'm doing a lot of painting by numbers and 
And I do a lot of singing and piano playing, and those are all really important expressive pieces of my healing, as well as being in my own therapy and having wonderful colleagues and friends to confide in, especially those who understand the collective trauma of what's happened. So I appreciate you for asking that question because it is a reminder for me to be human and just allow for the feelings that are happening to be okay. Yeah. This cultural moment brings about so much information overload. I there's the inundated news of chat GBT and artificial intelligence, which brings about so much of like human need to be productive. But yeah. when a traumatic happen, traumatic memory happens like this, like the moment when you hear about Lunar New Year being diminished by a shooting, it, rem it brings me back to like, the groundedness that at the end of the day, no matter how much we have going on, we have a human heart and we have emotions. And as as a woman hearing another Filipino woman talk about all of these emotions, it brings me so much groundedness because despite all of your titles, we're not immune to any That's of this. So true. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I, and all those titles fly out the window because when it comes down to it we are looking for connection we are looking for support these are our basic needs and basic ways of being one of our primary values is kapwa and that connectedness and just feeling with one another and i think it's been interesting to reflect on not just this past shooting but also the atlanta shootings i remember when it happened it's not my, the victims were not part of my ethnic background. They're all the way on the other side of the country. And yet my pain was so deep because so many times our community is seen just as a homogenous society. And this doesn't take into account all of the different aspects of our different cultural and religious backgrounds, like everything that makes each Asian community unique. But in that moment, I just felt as the united part of the community, it hurts all of us. And I remember feeling so overwhelmed, requests for statements and all of the students that I work with wanting to talk about it. And I was just so frozen that my body shut down and I was forced to lose my voice and recuperate for a week and a half because I wouldn't have done so otherwise. And now this has happened in my own community. I was born and raised in LA, just was there, Monterey Park last month when I came down to visit for the holidays. And it hits different, even though those don't necessarily directly celebrate Lunar New Year. So many of my friends and colleagues do. So many of my clients do. And to know that, like, it hit home in a different way because it was so local. 
yeah, it's like, I don't know what I'm feeling. And I would love people to know it's okay to not know what you're feeling. Sometimes this overwhelm is going to be comprised of shock, anger, disillusionment, checking out. And I think what made it hit home even more is that those do dance studios. That could have been my mom in that dance studio. She's very active in dancing. Could have been any of our elders. And so this idea where elders can't even get to celebrate one another, be in company with one another, enjoying the fruits of their labor, experiencing community, has been impacted significantly. And during the Lunar New Year, I'm incredibly sad and part of me is like, it welcomes that opportunity to be of service to others because that's one way that you can start healing. It's like just trying to feel better, helping other people is incredibly helpful if you're in a capacity to do and you don't have to be a therapist. You could just be someone in community, reach out to a friend. I'm so grateful that my friends who are not API reached out. I'm like, hey, how are you doing with all of this? And it was so touching that, that I have friends that will do that because they'll know me and they'll know how much it affects me and others in the community. So you can just, you can help others by being yourself, whether or not you've been affected by these shootings. So I think that's really important. It, you don't have to be professional to do it. We professionals rely on our non-professional supports yes. so much. Ooh, this conversation yeah. is deep, but it's important, especially so close to everything that's happening. So I appreciate the opportunity to share some of these thoughts. I also think it speaks to your integrity because you emailed me a few hours before we were supposed to come on and you wanted to hold space for this. Yeah. And as a leader, as a professor, as a therapist, as a woman, as a Filipino woman, we have so many intersectionalities, but part of what holds it together is our integrity as one person. And one of the, th I'm only 26. And one of the things I'm realizing I never learned in school was how to not externalize control. Mm -hmm. And when this first happened to me, when I first heard about this news, I was thinking about all the errands I needed to run, how much work I needed to get done, just the hustle of having to do something and the repression that happened. And it wasn't until my supervisors at Yellow Chair, the leadership sat us down as a staff and said, how are you doing? That I realized that that was my compulsion to mm -hmm. externalize and to find control in other ways. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting because I think 
as women of color, especially when we're in these spaces of being in leadership or being in higher ed or what have you. That is such a a setting for imposter syndrome and needing to constantly prove ourselves and needing to have it all together. So good. Yeah. It's like, even though I'm not in school anymore, it's been a hot minute, but even being in in leadership positions and being in these areas where people look to us for support and feeling like, oh gosh, I don't have it together either. And so am I being an imposter? Am I being a hypocrite for helping others when I don't feel like I have it all together? And when you talk about integrity, I think that's what I always need to come back to. It's like my integrity and my authenticity are what have led me to this path of supporting others and being in leadership and speaking on Filipino mental health or API mental health. And that's what it eventually comes down to. I'm not professing to be perfect at any of this, but what I do know is my capacity for caring, my empathy has created the type of therapist I hope I am for my clients Mm -hmm. and that I am confident in. I may not always know the right thing to say. I may be rambling right now for all I know, but the, the piece I think we need to remember is that it is such a gift that we give to others of being able to be ourselves in that therapy room, being able to hold space for people to really heal their trauma, especially the trauma that we've experienced recently And I consider it such a gift and a blessing. And I try to be as humble as possible so that I hope that when people meet with me for therapy, I hope they know, like, I, I am so honored that you would allow me to be a part of this journey. And I will do everything in my capacity to do that. And some days I will have high capacity and some days like today, I will be a human doing the best that I can, but either way, I hope that it's still enough to exhibit. I'm still here. I'm still present and I'm grieving with you. I'm mourning with you. I am being human with all the feelings with you. Mm -hmm. And so I'm so grateful for this opportunity to do this. And one thing that I, I'm trying to remember today and perhaps for the rest of the week that we have to give our permission, ourselves permission to be gentle with ourselves. Again, this whole imposter syndrome drives us. The externalization of control drives us like, oh, we've got to do everything that we can. Do we? Do we really? Or can we just be present and be authentic? And let that be enough, because really, that's what drives the therapeutic relationship. That's what drives the trust. And having someone be present with you, that's more than enough. And if we could manage to remember how to be a good clinician with all of the interventions and everything at the same time, great, even better. But, yeah, 
I really resonated with you sharing that. So thank you. I, I feel there's like a lot of pressure. I think people see me like, oh, she's president-elect of APA. Oh, she did this. Oh, she's at Stanford. I'm like, I'm still a person. And I'm still a person. We're all still people. And like I said, it's so important to have community. So I'm so grateful for APA. They are my professional family. And we are all experiencing such collective pain knowing that this continues to happen in our community and trying to do the best that we can to change policy, to meet with policymakers and lawmakers. And this is happening so much in the last few years that have been involved in leadership. And all we can keep doing is trying our best, but we don't have to overextend ourselves either. You talk so much about the gift of authenticity, the gift of not just being a clinician, but the ability to bring yourself into the room yeah. and to acknowledge the humanity that you don't have to be a robot and achieve consistency. Yeah. How, how long did it take to get to that place for you? What journey that's, did you have to go on? That's a great question. I think my journey is a little unconventional in a lot of ways. So I, this is my second career, actually. I was in pharmaceutical research for the first 10 years after grad, undergrad because I wasn't, I realized I didn't want to be a physician after doing a medical mission in the Philippines. I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that. So I filmed pharma and tragedies and such led me to therapy for the first time. And that's what put me on this journey. And I, even after that, even going to, through a clinical psychology program, and I'm like, oh, this isn't what I was hoping to get out of it. I was hoping for more touchy-feely, woo-woo, more humanistic stuff, but even and I would, I didn't receive that. So after I finished my PsyD, I went back to and got a master's in spiritual psychology. And that's where I learned how to be authentic. It basically relearned all of my skills from a very human centered, client centered focus. And I think without that education, I wouldn't have developed the strength and the courage to be authentic. So I will sometimes self-disclose if it feels appropriate, especially with my clients of color, my clients with differing identities, to let them know I see them and I can experience and feel things along with them. And I think that's been my superpower. I, I presented at Comic-Con just this past July and I dressed up as rogue because I had this natural yes. white streak that came from grad school. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. My, my client was like, but you're the opposite of rogue. You give people their power instead of take it away. And I was like, oh, I love That's that. Good. And I would take that a step further and say, I see the power that's been in you all, the, all along. And by me being authentic, I'm hopefully going to model to you that you are lovable, you are capable, you are worthy just by being you. 
and let's have some conversations about what's getting in the way. So that program, even though it's not certified by APA, even it was more of an experiential shift and growth mindset for me that now when I'm in therapy, I hope my client experiences me as authentic as I can, because that's what I bring to everything. That's what I bring to my interviews. That's what I bring to my sessions or speaking engagements. All I can do is show up and be me. And I've been mm. fortunate and grateful that people seem to appreciate that perspective. And it's interesting because I think spirituality is starting to rear its head in our clinical spaces. One of my friends is now pursuing, um, I'm not sure if it's a doctorate or a master's degree in clinical psychology and spirituality from Columbia. And I'm like, what? That's amazing. It's amazing that we can be different clients. And I think what I really appreciate about my program is that I get to bring all of myself, including my cultural worldview, which is not something that I could say was really emphasized. I think in a lot of our trainings, okay, one class on Asians, one class on working with black people, one class on working with Latinx. Yeah, that teaches us nothing except experienced us. And so I think with this other program, I was just like, Oh, this is how I can bring all of me into it, including my cultural perspective. And from what at least my clients tell me, especially the Filipinx ones, it's, oh, it's here's somebody who represents or looks like someone who's told me all of these things about who I am, but now is saying the complete opposite. And it provides this corrective emotional healing experience that integrates Filipino values, that integrates worldview, that integrates collective culture. And, and I love being able to share about that from this really heartfelt, authentic perspective. And so I think that's what makes this work so enjoyable for me because it doesn't feel like work. It just feels like me showing up and having the training and education to to share all of these interventions, but really from an authentic place, whether that's from a nerd perspective, like what I covered at Comic-Con, whether it's from a cultural perspective, whether it comes from a first-gen perspective. And I, I like to think that, okay, I, I didn't have an easy childhood, but those experiences helped me have empathy for mm -hmm all the things that my clients are going through. And I think they can sense that even if I don't share those things, the authentic empathy and care that I feel for them, having experienced similar events in my life, I think that comes across making it a safe space to, to share. So I'm just, like I said, I feel very grateful and somehow it's led to all of this <laughs> somehow it's led to all of this 
you talk about getting a master's in spiritual psychology and in some addiction circles they talk about this principle of we're not physical beings having a spiritual experience yes that's exactly what we cover that we are spiritual beings having a human experience and so that's when right. we thought we think about human experience that's what we're talking about today whether or not people are spiritually inclined or not, we are all having human experiences and emotions and reactions with everything that happened this past weekend. And not just this past weekend, but for the past few years with the intense focus on Asian Americans being scapegoat for so many things in this country. I had a little bit of a reaction. I don't know if you watched The Last of Us, it referred to an Asian country being the start of the outbreak. And I'll, I'll stop there for spoilers. But I'm just like, it didn't have to be. Because I just feel like anybody can run with things and point blame instead of looking at themselves and say, okay, how am I contributing to this? Instead of blaming a whole community or group of people. There's a lot that is unknown about the shooter's motives, but it may not have been racial. It may have been a domestic violence type of situation. And yet people are going to run with this and make rules that fit with their belief systems. And I think that's why it's so hard to support our community because we just don't know what will trigger somebody to do the things that they do against our community or any community for that matter. And so I think all we can do, all that we do have in our control is to put out those resources, to put out this information. For example, I'm in the midst of creating a draft of, of a statement plus resources on behalf of AAPA. And I hope that these resources, which I'll share with you so you can share them with your listeners, Please. will give people coping strategies, helplines, ways to find an Asian or AAPI therapist that would be helpful for them. It's just so important to be able to process this because we are a community, whether or not we feel like a loner or what have you we're, it's just in our nature and so you don't have to go through this alone and there are people out there who can help you if you know you need help moving through this in an age where covid has taught us to be more comfortable speaking to one another through technology i think that you have thought about ways that you can provide more community resources to people that might be suffering in isolation. Yeah. I've tried to apply for some of these like online things, like I won't say their names. There's a lot of programs out there that provide texting support or email support. And I say use whatever support works for you. But I think part of the most important thing with therapy is having that one-on-one -on -one connection, that trust, that visual of 
allowing someone to care for you, allowing someone to support you, to let you know that you are worthy and supported. And sometimes that, that feeling of connection is lost with our virtual methods. I'm primarily teletherapy in my private practice, but at least having the video can communicate that. Whereas I think it can be really easy to dismiss information. Oh, this person doesn't really help me. And they're just cutting and pasting, you know, what (laughs) it doesn't allow. Yeah. Like we're a person. This is not a bot (laughs) that is giving you a text response. This is a person who is invested in learning about you and supporting you. And, um, I forgot where I was going with that, but it's so important to engage in therapy. If you've tried everything and I don't know what else to try. There are people who are trained that have more options for people to consider. I'm not a big fan of, I think a lot of AAPI folds think that it's just advice giving and they can get that from their friends and from their family. And so I'm very quick to point out, like, this is why I'm not like your friend and family. I'm not the source of your concerns. (laughs) I wonder if you're talking, even like, I have problems with my family. You're going to talk to your family about that? problems with my friend you're going to talk to your friend about that and maybe there are different ways to talk to them we're confidential we're not gonna cheese me we're not gonna share that information and we're actually trained to help but more than that i firmly believe and this is something i learned more in my spiritual psychology program than my clinical one that you are the expert on you That's like the big foundation of humanistic psychology. And if you're the expert on you, then you have your inner wisdom from your experiences, your relationships, your values, your culture. And I'm just going to be the person that gives you alternatives on how to incorporate that into your healing. So I got the education and license and all that, but you have your wisdom. So I'm going to throw out options for your consideration and you're going to keep the ones that work for you and you're going to just let go the ones that don't. But then that way, it's a very well curated way of dealing with this, whether it's dealing with a tragedy, dealing with loss, dealing with relationship, dealing with family. It's going to be all on you and not influenced by any kind of relationship, personal a relationship that you know, you would have with a family member or, or your friends or your partner. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. Why not? Why not? Why I'm not curious. I'm curious about bringing it back to spiritual practices because there, we have a lot of inquiries from people who are just dipping their toes into what it means to be a spiritual being. And you talk about humanistic practices being surrounded with honoring that inner wisdom and being the expert. And Mm -hmm. so what does it, can you break it down for someone who's just beginning in their journey? What does it mean to be a spiritual being having a physical experience? Oh, that's great. 
I love hearing my terminology <laughs> repeated <laughs> to me in these clinical settings. Yeah. Because I forget sometimes that I'm like, oh yeah, I have a whole community of people who I've taken this course with. And even if they don't apply it to professional settings, it really has changed our lives for the better. I think when it comes to spirituality, though, it's so personal and it's so unique. And granted, our program was based loosely on Buddhist principles, Taoist principles. It wasn't necessarily based on any religion structure per se, but it was focused on I am a being of made of love and therefore I'm lovable. And if I can't believe that, or I won't believe it, what's getting in the way of that? Am I engaging in behaviors that are not aligned with my values? Am I speaking to people in ways that is not congruent with the way I want to be in the world. No, just like on a very basic level. So if people are not happy and wish to do something more with their life, I think spiritual being is looking within and saying, okay, if I am, if I am lovable, ultimately, if I am a good person, ultimately, and all of this work in this lifetime is just about finding the barriers that are getting in the way of me understanding that or believing it or owning it, how can I get the support to get there? Yeah. So therapy is one way. It's like, okay. Where did that belief come from? Or why do you think you might be engaging in behaviors that are not congruent with who you want to be? And then really working with them. Like, okay. When you make decisions moving forward, ask yourself, is this bringing me closer to the person I want to be or away from? That's, it can start there. And that's actually helped a lot of my clients guide their decision-making. And it has nothing to do with what faith tradition you believe in or what have you. It's just, if you are the expert on you, who do you want to be? And is this behavior or thought, because I am CBT, is this mm -hmm. behavior or thought bringing you closer or away from? And then just make every decision based on that. Well, if you want to be closer, try making more decisions that are aligned with who you are. And, but there were two principles that were the foundation of our training. And one was heart-centered listening and seeing through Oh gosh, now I can't remember the actual verbiage, but basically seeing the loving essence in people, heart-centered mm -hmm. listening and seeing the loving essence in people. So I'm fortunate that I had both trainings because I don't come across as some kind of like spiritual guru, but I know for myself how I want to show up was largely guided by the work that I did in the, in the spiritual program because I was afraid to show up as I was. When I first started, I was like, oh, I'm an imposter. Oh, <laughs> all of these things. I'm like, I'm not worthy to help people. And it was just like where I was at that time. But then I did the hard work of like, yeah, I am. 
why am I believing that? Or what's getting in the way of that? And once I did work on that, then being authentic followed. One of the wonderful things I really loved about that program was our thesis statement was to pursue a dream that you never pursued. And if you think about it, it's genius because now you're applying all of these things to the limiting beliefs that you had about yourself, to the behaviors that you didn't engage in. And I wanted to be a professional singer, namely a jazz singer. (laughs) And so my project was, you know, I ended up selling out a jazz club in LA and raising funds for the father, my father's, where he got his cancer treatment, dedicating it to him and things like that. But the big work was working on all of my limiting beliefs, working on letting myself be visible and seen, all of these things. And it was really, it was really a practice of allowing my authentic self to come forward. And so I think from that experience, everything that I've done as a clinician, as a psychologist, as a leader, as a Filipino woman, stemmed from that. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is how amazing it feels to live in your authentic self. And if I can help people experience that, maybe not at that level. Maybe it could just be as simple as I'm walking every day. Does it contribute to you feeling closer to that version of yourself that you want to be? Yes. Okay. That's a win. It's a huge win. And I have to walk the walk. And I have to talk to the top. Otherwise, I'm not being authentic. I think it's going to depend on everybody that they have to look inward and decide, you know, spiritual being or not. It's like, what is getting in the way of me living my fullest authentic life? Mm-hmm. Starting from there. And whatever supports you can get, whether those be spiritual, physical, mental, reach out and look for it. I love how your training was driven by love and heart. And when you talk about your thesis being pursuing a dream that you've never pursued, one of my follow-up questions for you originally was, how do you know that something is driven by love? And when you said that one sentence, pursue a dream that you never pursued, it brought about this tangible feeling of excitement within me. And it Mm -hmm. got me thinking about dreams that I never pursued. Is there anything else that makes you know that something is driven by love and not fear? Yeah. One of the things that we learned is fear is very ego driven. Wow. Our authentic selves thrive on joy and love and peace and fulfillment and all of those things. It's never going to be driven by fear from scarcity, from, because authentic self is really, if we want to get into a little bit of spirituality, it's really that embodiment of whatever higher power, if you do ascribe to one, you know, how it is manifesting in yourself. So it's not going to come from that. One of the exercises that I've really enjoyed from our program was having a conversation with that authentic self and letting that be your inner counselor and such that if they are speaking or responding to you, so you're basically 
dialoguing like, oh, like empty chair. Oh, I feel this way. And then the authentic self, the inner counselor would respond, but from a very loving place, which is something that we don't really do. We're very critical. We're very self-deprecating when we talk to ourselves. But if we could channel that piece of us that is nothing but loving and supportive and letting that be our authentic self, it's amazing what comes forth. And you can make it God, Jesus, Buddha, any higher power nature that you ascribe to. But then it's like really learning how to channel that voice because ego wanting to protect us. That's where all the fear and the judgment and all of that comes from. It's never going to be our authentic self-judging. So what we can step out of the brain focused stuff, the ego focused stuff and just go, what is my heart telling me? I love you. You are trying your best. And maybe this is something you can talk to with somebody because it seems like it's really hurting you. And I really want you to feel healed and complete. Like I would never say that to myself (laughs) if I was just like in my own cocoon. But when I'm really trying to channel, how would somebody respond to me if they were like in the all loving kindness? the loving kindness exercises that we learn in mindfulness it's an extension of that if all we did was like speak from this very loving very kind space how much healing could we experience because then we're not trying to convince anyone we're just being loving toward ourselves another one of our we have so many good like quotes, but healing is the application of loving to the parts inside that hurt. It's good. Still get goosebumps. That's so good. So how can we be loving? Regardless of spiritual, religious nature, how can we be loving? Hopefully first to ourselves and therefore then let that come out into the world. If I can be loving toward myself, Imperfect as I may be, despite all of the flaws that I still wake up and know this is a mirror, but I'm going to be loving toward myself for that. How can I then practice that and model that? Mm. So I came into this podcast with the intention of cry because yeah. that's my authentic self. And I'm crying from love and pain, which makes us human. Mm. And but yeah, that healing piece of it, I think really embodies this aspect of loving that I think doesn't always come across when we're working in clinical settings, when we're working with sessions and clients, but I'm hoping that the intention of loving is behind and visible and received by people, whether or not they're willing to receive it. Sometimes I have clients like, not ready for this care and support. I'm not ready for it to be focused on me. I'm like that's okay. Wherever you're at is okay. And let's mm-hmm. just work with you from there. Yeah. So Christine, I want to be respectful of your time. Cause I know yeah. we're a little bit over. Okay. So do you have time for one more question? Yeah. yeah. So my last parting question to you is if you could meet yourself 30 years ago, and you can only give her one piece of advice. 
what would you tell her? That's such a great question. You're full of great questions. I would say thank you. You are loved and you are worthy and you're going to do amazing things because you are loved and you are worthy. I don't think I would have believed that 20 years ago. I was really struggling actually. That was, or 30 years ago. Yeah. I'm amazed with the wisdom that age brings and the emphasis of what's important and what's not. And I know our community will heal from this, but it's still going to be important to connect and to ask for help because help is available. And that we, whether you're a therapist or not, also practice those things for ourselves so that we can do the good that we're called to do. Christine, I want to acknowledge you for your humanity, for the amount of humility and honesty and integrity you came in. I'm going to re-listen to this interview and just sit in it with gratitude for a little bit because I'm really thankful for your time and just energy because I'm really thankful. Thank you so much. This was very healing for me as well. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk and share my authentic self with you. And I hope your listeners will gain something from it. And like I said, I'll be sure to forward the statement and the resources that are available for people if they would like more support and healing from this or just talking about things that are keeping them from being their authentic selves as well. Of course. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Ah. 